And I think a lot of times I've been on set, and I'm sure you have too, yeah. people forget to even say please and thank you. It's like just like water. I'm like, okay, now, first of all. And and then I, it just it blew up. I mean, I mean, yeah, it blew up. You get the best out of the team when you feel like you're a part of the team. Most of my success isn't because I'm funnier than people because I have more resources. It's because I'm just really, really. Hi, I'm Erin Ashley Simon. I'm a broadcaster, entrepreneur, and a cultural disruptor who's redefining what it means to be a creator. This episode, we're going to be exploring a seasoned professional who has transitioned into a career that they enjoy. Whenever we talk about creators, we always think about the young individuals. But what does someone with a bit more life experience bring to this space? Today's guest is an actor, a comedian, a filmmaker, and more importantly, someone who brings great vibes. Please welcome Kev on stage. Kev, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you for it's, having me. It's crazy because we've been talking via Twitter for the longest Man. time. This is the first time we're actually connecting in person. Isn't it weird how you like talk to somebody for so long, you mm -hmm. feel like you know them, and then you meet them and you realize, oh, I've actually never seen you in person. Yeah. You know, the pandemic really heightened that. Because we mm -hmm. weren't seeing anybody. So it's just a crazy thing. I feel like the world wasn't like that before. But that's technology. It is. It is. And I also think it's very fascinating where we are very public-facing people. Yeah. So often that kind of interaction is like how people perceive us. Like I I watch your content. I'm right. sure you've seen me and mine. Course, and it's just course. like, you're like, oh, okay. It's like, I feel like I know you. Yeah. But it's like there's so much more to you to <laughs> get to know. 1,000%. 1,000%. part of the reason why I wanted you to come on the podcast because you've had such a unique and fascinating experience. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into that, I wanted to start with your beginnings. Okay. You're a military kid and you grew up in that environment. Do you feel like that has impacted affected or con like aspects of that upbringing has been instilled in your career yeah i think one of the things that probably is the most uh clear military kid moving to non-military schools right mm -hmm. so and even shoot military schools or not military schools but schools on military bases you have to make friends quickly right mm -hmm. and you don't have friends for life and i don't mean like you know you just like prior to social media after you moved it was like you change your number you're gone <laughs> you know so starting a new school every two or three years sometimes three and four years i went to three high schools in four years uh you learn to make friends quickly and you learn to strike up a conversation how to have a good time get people to like you you know assess people quickly i think all of those are valuable skills i learned as sort of a survival method, you know, for, you know, just getting to another school, especially when we moved to a place where there weren't other military kids, mm. because then they've been friends their whole life. So my 10th grade year in El Paso, even though I was born there, I moved around a lot and came back. These kids, they known each other since first grade. And there wasn't that military school thing. You like, oh, we don't know each other. Let's be yeah. friends. Other schools were not so welcoming. So uh, I think that's probably the number one school. I mean, number one uh, skill I learned from going to various schools. Was it around that time that you started to pick up that comedic aspect of yourself to be as, as part of a way to build friendships? Yeah, I think I, I might have honed it then. I, I always remember being funny. Yeah. I always remember entertaining. At first, it was like my family, like I would want to stay up later. And I found that if I could make my grandma laugh, make the grown folks laugh, they wouldn't be like, all right, go to bed. 
So I would da dance, I would uh, recreate stuff that happened at church that Sunday, whatever. And then in school, I just kind of honed that ability, you know, telling stories at the lunch table, basketball practice, getting people going, that type of thing. So I think I kind of always had that innate ability and I've just kind of been sharpening it as I've gotten older. And as you've gotten older, when was it, when did it get to the point where it wasn't just so much of, a, of something that was like a part of your personality and became like, oh, I can actually do this for a living? I think the first time I even had that thought that this can be done for a living for me was um, when I saw Kings of Comedy. I just, I hadn't seen, I mean, everybody I knew was watching that movie and I saw that they had been on tour. I, I didn't know much about them from that. I knew about them from Def Comedy Jam, but yeah. I didn't know that that tour had went on for like a year. I just remember, oh, the Kings. And I was like, oh, no, Cedric and Steve and DL. You know, and watching that movie, I remember being like, dang, that would be dope if I could do that. The first time I actually saw, thought it was even like possible for someone close to me, uh, I met this lady at a bank and her son ran a comedy club. Uh, his name is Nate Jackson, and he ran his own comedy room in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And that was not usual, right? There was, like, nobody had a weekly comedy room. Like, in L.A., you have, I mean, that's the, L.A. and New York are, like, the cap comedy capitals. So when I saw that he was doing it and he was around my age, like, he would do his room, then he traveled, he did colleges and all that type of stuff, that's when I was like, okay, this is actually possible because somebody that's near me in age is doing it in Tacoma. So I have no excuse. He's not in L.A. Like uh, he's not somebody working in New York. He's living in Tacoma and making a living as a comedian. And I was like, OK, then it's it's possible. It It's so fascinating how sometimes all it takes is for you to see someone that you can kind of see a reflection of yourself in in order for you yeah. to take that step. I mean, for me, it, I mean, there were several broadcasters who I felt like okay like obviously growing up saw Oprah and then for me Lala was another one who mm -hmm. was very much aligned with like my Afro-Latina roots and yeah. it really took for me to see those people say okay this is something I'm interested in doing um, but during the time that I wanted to do it it was so traditional in the manner of like how the path towards being a broadcaster yeah and it wasn't until within the past five ten years that people were able to really start to take a non-traditional route. Mm -hmm. And with you, you started to take a lot more of the content route, the yeah. social media route, as you were building, you know, more of the traditional comedic route. Mm -hmm. For So for you, when was that, when did you have that moment where you're like, all right, I'm going to kind of take this route in order to get there? Because for me, it was when I started realizing that not everyone saw me fitting the quote-unquote model or the mold for a broadcaster. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go in the area I'm passionate about, which is gaming, and mm -hmm. then find my way back into the other space. Yeah. I think probably the the first thoughts were living in Tacoma, and there's no auditions there. There's no movies being shot there, or it's very, actually, no. There's maybe sometimes in Seattle, but it's nothing I ever heard of. I think 10 Things I Hate About You was shot in Tacoma before I moved there. So it's like, I see people doing this, but I know I can't move to LA right now. I got two kids, new house, very small. I can barely afford to feed them and house them and clothe them. Mm. So that's not an option to move to LA. So it was like, okay, so what can I do? And the internet was the great equalizer. I remember watching like Issa Rae had um, Awkward Black Girl and Dorm Tame was making their skits and Spoken Reasons and Tim Chantarangsu. And I'm seeing people who, again, who are around my age 
who are figuring it out. And some of them, like Tim and Smoking Reasons, have made partner on YouTube, so they're actually making money. And I remember thinking, you know, Tyler Perry is somebody we, you know, were greatly inspired by. We used to make plays as well. And we were trying to figure out how to put plays up, and we would do it. But in Seattle, Tacoma area, there's not enough black people to make a living doing plays. Yeah. Right. And we're looking at Tyler, and he's like, okay, but he'd do two, three weekends in Atlanta, then he'd go to Columbia and up the coast and all that stuff. He'd go on tour in the Southeast and in the South and the Midwest, but that wasn't feasible for us. So I remember seeing um, the trend on YouTube at the time was Stuff Girls Say. And it was, you know, going crazy billy sorrells did one stuff black black girls say and i remember telling my friend and my brother jason i was like if we get big on the internet then we'll have more fans everywhere if we have more fans everywhere we can promote our plays everywhere right yeah. so we made stuff black church girls say this same night and stuff black parents say both of them went viral so the initial plan was to get fans everywhere so we could do our plays but then we quickly realized Oh, actually, we can perform as like a trio doing stand up right now. People started calling us like, hey, can you come to our church and do this? Can you come to our church? So that's when I realized the, the Internet and using the Internet to get my name out there, get our names out there would be something that could help my ultimate goal. Yeah. And and then I, it just it blew up. I mean, I mean, yeah, it blew up, you know, on the playmate. We were called the Playmakers. We were doing that. And then shortly after, I was like, I don't want to just make it's kind of like you in gaming. I, yeah. I don't want to only make church content because it's kind of like limiting. I enjoy it and it's fun, but I don't want to only be that. And that's why I started Kev on stage. And it was crazy because the Playmakers content was booming. Million views, million views. But the Kev on stage content was like 100 views, 112. I remember when I started getting 100, I was like, oh, boy, look at me now. <laughs> then I started getting 1,000. I was like, oh, snap. And, you know, so uh, I was kind of building that for the same reason, just continue to grow my fan base so that I could do more. And I think that's why I use the internet, the content as a vehicle to market myself and to build my own fan base. And I, I feel like, cause when I made the transition, I didn't, I, I felt happy with that tr transition I was gonna make. And mm -hmm. like you're saying, even with the few numbers that I have, I'm like, oh great, I'm starting to see some progress. Right. Uh, but when we talk about content creation, a lot of times it's dealing with younger individuals. And I feel like having life experience helps with being able to adjust and cope with the fact that there's gonna be a drastic change yep. when you make a change in your career or with your brand. And you know, I talk to young creators all the time who view it as like, oh, it's a bad thing. But one thing I always tell them is like, all right, you have 70 views on that video. Right. Imagine 70 people in a room. That's right. a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Even if it's one person watching it 70 times, they really rock with you. Yeah. So it's really like that's a great way to look at it because we compare it to the millions of views. But in actuality, if 70 people were in this room right now, we wouldn't be able to breathe. No. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so 70 is a lot. And you just really got to build with what you have. It can just be really discouraging because other people get so many more yeah. views and stuff. And now TikTok, shoot, somebody will get a lot of views. But the, the hard part about that is the consistency because you, I mean, you've probably seen it. Somebody will have 10 million views and their next video have a thousand. Yeah. And a thousand is a lot. But if you just got 10 million, then TikTok is like, all right, we don't care about the rest of your videos. Then it's like, what I what I got to do to get that again? And most people don't see that again. So there's a lot of ways to get discouraged. I think the key to success is finding a way to keep going. And this sounds cliche, but to push through because you will be discouraged. This is a tough yeah. industry mentally 
to stay in it. Even if you're mentally tough, it's going to beat you down. Oh, yeah. So you've got to find the silver lining and like seven people is still a lot. you got to find ways to continue to build progress when it seems like you're not getting it. Also, I, I always let people know in entertainment, there's peaks and there's valleys, yeah. right? There's going to be down periods and it's just about like, what do you do, right? So like, for example, during this time for myself, right now it's like hosting isn't, uh, there's not a lot of hosting opportunities right now. Mm -hmm. So instead of just being like, whoa, is me? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to create a project that I want to do and I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to invest back into myself and then hopefully this will help to build other opportunities. That's why I started the podcast. Yeah. But I feel like the only reason I feel like I'm able to take this approach is because my success has come at a little bit of a later point in my life. Like, mm. you know, I'm not obviously I'm not super older. I'm 31. But when we look at a lot of content creators, they're like in their 20s, yeah. their teens. Yeah. And I feel like life experience really does play into how we adjust and adapt to this level of success that we mm -hmm. have for you. How has your life experience really helped you? Because like, you know, you've been building for a long time, but I would say like, the 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 high uh, one of the high points of, of you succeeding happened a little bit later in your years yeah honestly i'm really grateful that it has happened that way because i've like you're saying i've had life experience i've i've worked a lot of terrible jobs right so i don't you know the worst part of this job isn't the worst part of my worst jobs like i remember i worked for the city of tacoma and i worked for the uh landscaping division and on tuesdays my job was to pick up cigarette butts from the courthouse, one of these courthouses. And you would not believe, or maybe you would, how much people smoke when they have court. It's a lot. So <laughs> the worst podcast day or the most exhausting day, <laughs> nothing compares to spending hours picking up cigarette butts with that you know, thing. Um, also, it allowed my kids to be a little bit older, so I experienced life away from success or fame or even high visibility. I think that was key. Um, I think just for me, having a quote unquote regular life to build upon and to keep me grounded and humble was really instrumental. And I can also appreciate people knowing that I worked a regular job. Some people start in Hollywood and they never work a regular job. So they often are catered to their whole life or the majority of their life leads to them being entitled and kind of jerks and they really don't realize it because they've never worked at burger king but i did i remember getting yelled at because the lady said x the onions so i took the onions off and she said i said extra onions and i was like who says extra i mean who says extra you like you, you say no onions everybody says no tomatoes no pickles not extra pickles so anyway <laughs> i've been yelled at worked all day putting burgers in the a broiler and smelling yeah. like meat all day like that all matters. It all helps me to be a well-rounded person. So I think it's safer in some ways to grow as a good person and then enter the entertainment industry as opposed to growing in the inter entertainment industry because it's an unusual industry to be in. It is. And I always tell people to, like, like you're mentioning, get a job behind the scenes mm -hmm. first before you become a public figure because you're going to start appreciating the team and the people around you a lot yeah. more because same thing i remember when i used to work behind the scenes in like the sports music world all that and there have been times where i'm like oh like this this celeb this person is so kind so nice and i always remember that it stuck with me Absolutely. and then i always remember the ones that were not so nice and and that really stuck with me because anytime that i'm doing a broadcast or whatever like i try to 
be that person who's like, okay, I understand. There's no worries, yeah. no stress. Because I remember being in that position. 1, and I feel like that, you know, I feel like living your life, having those regular jobs and, and you know, working on yourself as a person, I feel like are so instrumental for your success, especially in entertainment, because you could lose yourself very quickly. One I mean, Aaron, you are hitting it perfectly. And I also want to add like, this is a collaborative medium. Yeah. Like you are on the camera, but you have somebody shooting and editing. You have people producing, you have PAs, you have somebody grab the talent, somebody ordering the cars. Like it takes all of us to make, I mean, all of them to make this work. Uh, and I just saw this clip of um, Keanu Reeves, who's been in the industry forever. Um, he was carrying some Apple boxes and equipment up this hill because they were like moving the location. And people were like, he shouldn't have to do that. And he was like, of course he shouldn't have to. In the union, he shouldn't even be touching it. But at the end of the day, we all want to rap early. Yeah. So if you can grab this Apple box and these cables, then one person doesn't have to make two trips. We all get to go home, you know? So I like to approach it from that because you get the best out of the team when you feel like you're a part of the team, as opposed to the person that should be catered to, like you are the talent. Yeah. Like the talent is just another name on the call sheet. And talent is usually the smallest group of people, you know, so if we all work together, it's just a better experience. And I found that you always get the best out of the projects and best out of the people when they want to be there and they're treated like they're valuable as opposed to they're just like here to serve you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes the industry like they set it up like that in a way, like if you're the talent they and I say I want some water, I'll go to crafting like, no, 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 no. We'll have somebody run and get you. Go get that yeah. for you because we want to have eyes on you. Want you in the trailer or whatever. So I get like after 20, 30 years of that, you're like, hey, could you grab me some water? And you don't even think to go and do it. I get that. But it doesn't mean you can't say it nicely. It doesn't mean you can't mm -hmm. say please. It doesn't mean you can't say thank you. It doesn't mean you can't converse with people. There's a lot of ways to be nice. Even the person is doing something for you. And I think a lot of times I've been on set, and I'm sure you have too, yeah. people forget to even say please and thank you. It's like just like water. I'm like, okay, now, first of all, my own, you talk to my kids like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you don't have to treat me poorly, even if my job is to actually make sure you have water when you need it. For me, oh man, Just I feel like I'm, I feel like for me, it's, it's always been the opposite where I always want to do everything. Mm -hmm. And then my team's like, we're here to do these things for you. You don't have to do right. it. Like I'm that kind of, like even earlier, they were like, do you want some water? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll go get it. They're like, no, we can get it for you. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I can go get it. Like, I feel like that's always been my problem of like learning how to let go. And, and it's not that, it's not even about trust. Yeah. It's just be able, to, I'm so used to having to always do things Want for myself. Yeah, and it's like course. learning how to like let go and delegate and, and allow people to help. Was that something that you've had to learn in your process? Because like you you create content, now you're doing films mm -hmm. and all these different things. Like at what point did you decide or realize like, okay, I have to start letting go and putting this these different PowerPoints into other people's hands in order for me to be successful? I think this, in my current phase of life, this is what I'm learning, mm. right? So what it took to become Kev on stage was just me, myself, kind of like uh, Kanye saying, I made you know five beats a day for three summers or whatever the lyric is. But, and that's what put him on the map, right? Just being head down to the ground. It's like basketball, you in the gym shooting by yourself, right? And that's an important skill, your training or whatever. But in order to win, 
it's about trusting your teammates and and being collaborative. And I think for me, this phase of my life is realizing I actually can't do the things I want to do by myself. Mm. I can do a lot by myself, yeah. but like film, I can't shoot and edit and do talent all by myself. So I'm either going to A, trust people and let them do their job, or B, get in the way and make a mess of things. So like when I was shooting Churchy, this TV show that I filmed and financed me and my wife, the editor pulled me aside after and he was like, hey man, you should take some acting classes on being present in the moment when you're not talking. Because I had to cut around you a lot when you weren't talking because I could see you looking in the camera and you're looking around. And the moment, that moment made me realize I'm not present because I'm literally worried about is lunch going to be on time? Does this, is this actor arrived? What's that wardrobe like? And you can't do that and be a present actor for your partner. So that was a lesson in like, you, you got to just focus on your job that day. And that job is to act. And in order to do that, I got to trust the producers doing his or her job. The guy's got the camera in focus. And here's the other thing. Sometimes people make mistakes, right? Yeah, Sometimes course. the camera's a little out of focus and yeah. you work around it. And the thing that I had to get through my thick head is even if you were doing that, you make mistakes too. So you, you, you do the right thing. You trust people. And true trust is I pass the ball to you. And even if you don't make the shot, it was still the right play. And I still big you up. Yeah. Right. It's not only if you make the shot, it's worth it. It's like you probably earn more trust if I pass it to you and you miss it. And I go over there and I'd be like, all right, it's all good. We'll get it next time. Pick your head up. Not like I should have just shot it myself. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And even the best players, like the other team knows you're a good player. I love sports analogies. Uh, so I'm kind of going crazy with them. No worries. Uh, the other team will be like, they're going to make him, they're going to pass him the ball. And they'll they'll throw all their guys at you. So if you don't trust your teammates, you will lose. Yeah. So I think the next 10, 20, 30 years, the rest, the rest of my career is about partnership and collaboration as opposed to just like sheer will and determination. I'm going to do it on my own because that's not going to get me where I want to go. That's going to get me right here to where I am. Yeah. And I don't want to stay here. Yeah. And – for me, it's always been about communication, honesty, and transparency. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I always tell my team is like, even for this project, I literally, before we started filming, I got everyone together and I said, listen, I just want to focus on my interviews. Mm -hmm. When it comes to booking, all this, I don't want to deal with yeah. any of that stuff. Yeah. I'll give input, but my job is to focus on making this the best content it can be. Yeah. And then I trust that you all will do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. But if things don't work out, just communicate. Yeah. Let's figure it out. We can adjust and go from there. And that's has always been kind of my my perspective and angle when it comes to that. Because like you said, the, the bigger you get, the more you have to trust those around you. Yeah. But part of that trust is the process of like you have to do your due diligence to ensure they're the right person. Yeah. So like, as you are getting to this space of trusting others to do what they mm -hmm. need to do, you know, what advice do you have for people who are adding more people to their teams? Like what process do you go through to ensure that you are locking in the right person that you can trust to do their job? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a friend of mine used to say, your job is to get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off, and the right people in the right seats. And I think the last part is the key. Like. A good person who has the great heart and shows up on time but just isn't the right fit, they also need to be moved either off or to a different spot. 
Uh, I think the easiest way to do that is to clearly define what your role is and what somebody else's role is, what those expectations are to be met. That way, if they're not meeting them, it's not a surprise that they're not meeting them. So that's, you know, one on one conversations, clear job duties and descriptions and, you know, uh, training and coaching and one on ones and and quarterly reviews and year end reviews like you should know your progress and your status. And then even if you're having to let somebody go, you can be letting them know like, hey, you're I'm, you're missing on this and that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything I can do to be better? Is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything I can do that makes your job easier? Right. That's even what I'm working on now is like, how can I be a better, more efficient leader? And that requires me to learn my team and how they work and how I can best work with them, not just making them adhere to my duties. Uh, but sometimes it just means you're going to have to have the hard conversations, right? There's yeah. no way around it. You know, one of my favorite shows is The Office. Michael Scott was a bad leader a lot because he wanted to be people's friends. Yeah. And inherently, if you're somebody's boss and their friend, those two are going to come into conflict. And if you're not able to have those tough conversations, then you're going to be not a good leader. So I think that's the hard part that there's no way around. Yeah. And part of those, you know, I think one thing that helps to alleviate some of those hard conversations is, like you said, being honest and upfront yeah. at the jump, right? Yeah. Like being honest, having those conversations at the, fr at the jump and holding that accountability for all individuals at the jump. Yeah. Uh, verbally, contractually, right. and, and, and so forth. And, but when you have a great team, you're able to do amazing things. You're mm -hmm. able to really put out some amazing projects. And one of the things that you have currently is your touring. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about how that's been going and how do you keep motivated through it all by touring and then still having to upkeep other business and content and yeah. so forth. Like, how do you handle it all, Kev? Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I, I don't know if I handled it all well, but I try. Thank you. Um, I think to me, they all work together, right? So like in the Disney model, the success of an animated movie helps sell merchandise. It helps put something on TV. It helps the theme parks because people want to ride the ride. They want to see the character. So doing and then having a good theme park experience, if you have a great ride and you ride a new Star Wars ride or stay at the Star Wars hotel, then you might want to go home and watch Andor on Disney+. Plus. So I think for me, touring is about seeing me live and having the great time of your life. So you're like, oh, I got to see when he comes in. Or I got to follow him on social media if I'm not following him. Oh, I got to check out his other stuff. Like if I can make you have a good experience in person, hopefully you're a little bit stronger of a fan. Like I'm a huge Beyonce fan for her work ethic and just like um, excellence. So I didn't go to Coachella, but I saw the Coachella performance and pretty much everybody on my timeline was watching it. It was so amazing that I'm like, ah, next time I can see her, I'm going to see her. Yes. The next album she drops, I'm going to get it. My wife wants a gift. I'm going to buy her a Beyonce hoodie. Even it's like, I think it was like $65, $85. And I was just like, dang, I ain't know you was going for that much. <laughs> but I think doing anything well helps do all your other businesses well. So uh, the content I make daily is just so I'm on your feed. And you're, oh, you know, what is, what's Kev talking about? Let me go see what Kev's talking about. Oh, snap, he's going on tour. Oh, let me see if he's coming to my city. Oh, he's not coming to my city. He's, let me see how close he is. Oh, he's not coming close at all. Well, let me see if I can go on his app. Or maybe he's working on a film or he's on a TV show. Like, how can I connect with him? Mm -hmm. So I think that's how I think about everything I do. If I do it well, it should get you into my orbit. And from there, 
if nothing else from you being a fan and, and falling in love with one of my podcasts, then that ad revenue helps me to finance movies later. So they all work together and that doesn't even cost you anything. If you just watch a podcast for free and the views go up, then somebody will pay me to market to you. Mm -hmm. And I like to have like different ways of supporting me. You don't have to actually spend money yeah. and it's still valuable. But if you want to spend money, I have Patreon or I have an app or you can buy a t-shirt or see me in person. But if you ain't got no bread and you watch me for free on YouTube and it's still beneficial to you and to me as well. Well, you're doing a good job because your kind of constantly comes up on my Twitter feed. And Twitter's <laughs> busted, as we all know, yeah, so you're doing exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I talk about so many things. Like, I want all types of people to have a reason to retweet me. Yeah. So I like to mix up what I'm talking about. So uh, you're like, dang, he talked about this too? Yes. Whatever can get me retweeted and liked and replied with, I'm going to talk about that. But it's actually really easy because I'm interested in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I really just talk about what I'm interested in and that runs the gamut of different stuff so it's not as hard for me because i'd be all over the place already yeah me i just i don't know what it is about tweeting i just like i'll have a thought and i'm like mm, i don't know if i want to tweet this today because <laughs> people will be taking things so out of context i remember i tweeted something and the manner in which i put my thread it was like hey we're starting to see creators that are teaching other people mm -hmm. um about the creator process and that's a good thing because now people are viewing content creation as a legit career. Yeah. And I and then I explained why after. And I had so many people upset. They're like, it's always been a legit career and all this stuff. And I'd explain to people, actually, only like 20, 10 to 20% of creators make enough for salary. Absolutely. Like a lot of people think like, oh, and there's a lot of people who go, yeah, there's no. no that's that's but, not true at all. <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to them, but yeah. I think maybe they felt it took it personally because they're trying to make it a career. For but sure. It's like, no, like a lot of creators do not have it as like uh, creators. They don't have it as a career. Most that's the I, I have a master class as well. And I think that's one of the, the biggest misconceptions is that everybody that's doing it is doing it full time and surviving solely off of that income. That is not that is patently untrue. That's just not true. Most people do it on the side. If at all, you know, if, if consistently at all, yeah. there's, I'd say probably less than 10%, maybe even 5% of all social media accounts have people who are creating full time and they derive all their income from that full time. But the way the world is set, it makes you feel like it's everybody but me. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's like not how many people were in the NBA. It's like the 180. You know what I mean? Like you don't realize how small of our population is good enough to do something. Cause I watch, I was like, Oh, I would have made that. He tired. You know what I'm saying? And my <laughs> knee is sore and I ain't stood up in 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's just how the internet sometimes makes us forget what the truth is, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Or what the actuality of a number is. Uh, and we tend to find the negative in things. It's just the way the human brain works. So I think it's good to be reminded that what you're doing is not being done by a lot of people. Yeah, and it's all about, you know, finding your wins and your positivity. Right. And also finding, you know, learning lessons from everything. And I hope all the viewers are learning from your episode today. Yeah. And so what I like to end every single episode with okay. is, what is one piece of, of advice that you would like them to take away from today's episode? What is a real gem you would like to leave them with? Okay, it's, it's gonna sound cliche. And it's going to be like, oh, my God, anybody knows that. It's not. Keep going. 
most of my success isn't because I'm funnier than people because I have more resources. It's because I'm just really, really consistent. Whether I think my video is great that day, amazing, okay, or piss poor, I post it. And I posted a video every day on average, usually more than once a day, for the last nine years, 10 years. Uh, the biggest problem most people have in this industry is it's very easy to stop and quit. It's easy to get discouraged, but I think, you know, most people stop podcasts. I think it's like 97%, 93% of podcasts never make a hundred episodes mm. um, because most people get disenfranchised. They episode 23, you still ain't getting no views. You're like, this is dumb. This ain't going to make it. Keep going. You know, keep trying, keep pushing. Rocky's one of my favorite movies, and Rocky was a terrible boxer. Like, literally no defense, got punched. He, he never has his hands up. Yeah. But the reason he would win most of the time is because they would knock him down, and he just wouldn't stay down. Like, you remember the first movie, Apollo Creed? is literally like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, stay down. I'm tired of fighting you. But he was just relentless about getting up. And I think if you are relentless about get, getting up no matter what, you have the most important part to succeed because the, the whole industry and the world is built to make you stay down. Like nobody's gonna blame you if you quit. Like it's tough, it's hard, blah, blah, blah. But finding a reason to get up and try again in the face of great, great, in the face of great adversity is probably the most important thing, the most important skill that you can have. That was a bar. I really appreciate you, Thank you. For, for that as well as coming on the podcast. Where can everyone find you on social media? Kev on stage everywhere except TikTok. Someone stole the Kev on stage name, so it's Kev on stage TikTok. And I was like, what? why would you do that? You know you ain't me. <laughs> so, yeah, search Kev on stage on whatever social media platform you're on, and I more than likely will be there. Well, thank you for joining course, us again. And thank you to all the viewers for tuning in. What did you like about today's episode? Drop <laughs> it in the comment section. Give it a like, follow, and subscribe. Also, stay tuned for the next episode. We have another great conversation with another great guest. Once again, I'm Erin Ashley Simon, and you're tuning into Real Gems. We'll see you all later. Bye.